everyone, this is Catherine O'Connell and welcome to Lawyer On Air. If you are looking for inspirational stories about women in law, then this is the podcast for you. Join me and my lawyer ladies as we enjoy a glass of wine after a hard day at work and talk about the world of women in law. I hope you will enjoy getting to know these amazing women who I am so proud to share a profession with. I'm glad you're here and I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Episode 8 in Season 2 of Lawyer On Air. I'm Catherine O'Connell. Today, I'm joined by Rika Nakajima, who is Associate General Counsel and Representative Corporate Executive Officer at Oracle Japan. Rika is responsible for the management of general commercial and business transactions in the company. The Oracle brand is a household name and one I am very sure that everyone who is listening will know. You know them as a cloud technology company that provides organizations around the world with computing infrastructure and software to help businesses innovate, unlock efficiencies, and become more effective. Born and raised in Japan, first attending Sofia University's Comparative Cultural Department in 1990, Rika then took herself over to the United States to transfer to Brown University, graduating with a Bachelor of Arts in Honours in 1992. Rika then went on to take her Juris Doctor qualification at American University Washington College of Law in 1997. And then she passed the New Jersey State Bar in 1998, and after that, the New York State Bar in 2001. Rika has had over 20 years experience having worked in prominent law firms and companies across Japan and the US. Her first law role as a qualified attorney was in EY, both in New York and in Tokyo as a tax manager. She worked there for five and a half years before jumping ship to start as a tax associate at Baker McKenzie in Tokyo. From Baker's, she then moved to Macquarie Group and became their legal and compliance manager in 2008 and was there for three years. And then with a desire to move into a law firm role, Rika joined Sherman and Sterling LLP as an associate in March 2012, where she stayed for around two and a half years. And I think it was about this time I met Rika. So we've known each other for quite a while now. After Sherman, Rika took on the role of senior manager at PwC in the Office of General Counsel from October 2014 right through to December 2020. During the COVID-19 pandemic, so just on one year ago, Rika changed jobs, being hired at Oracle Japan as the Associate General Counsel. In fast succession in July 2021, Rika took up the role of Corporate Executive Officer. And then in August this year, she was elevated a further step higher when another senior woman in the company saw the brilliance of Rika and pulled her up yet another step higher on the ladder to become the representative corporate executive officer of Oracle Japan. Well, that's a fairly easy title to say, but in fact, the number of women holding representative corporate executive officer roles in Japan are very few. The number of men holding that office, who are also a lawyer, is just one. But the number of women who are holding that office as women lawyers is just two. And you know what? They are both at Oracle Japan. So what is remarkable is that Rika and her colleague, another lawyer who is a female, hold this role jointly. They are the only duo of female lawyers who are also representative corporate executive officers in Japan. So Rika joining Oracle and taking up this role is really history-breaking and a remarkable story in itself. And I think it tells us that even as female lawyers, we can aspire to be at the very top of an organization. And that can happen even if we may not be aware that this kind of reward is on its way to being delivered to us on the front doorstep of our lives. Well, this role is a super heavyweight role, but in talking with Rika before her recording of this episode, she seems to approach the role with ease and a sense of lightness in that she doesn't force over expectations on herself in this role, but rather takes each day as the first day and with a learner leader mindset and with happiness at her core. I know you will really enjoy hearing from Rika how she is approaching this 
Associate General Counsel role in tandem with her representative corporate executive officer role, being passionate about coaching others to draw out their inner spirit to excel, all the while balancing her work and being a single mother to two sons and never forgetting her hobbies and interests that keep her centered. I'm sure you'll see how these golden threads of passion weave their way through all of the activities that Rika immerses herself in. Rika is an example of yet another tremendous way to be a lawyer extraordinaire and a leader extraordinaire. And I'm so proud and excited to bring Rika Nakajima to you today as my guest. Rika, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Catherine. I'm so excited. Today, Rika, we're going to talk about all kinds of topics, your early days in Japan, uh, what led you to switch over to the US to study and your path into the law, your career journey in Japan, landing your massive dual role and, you know, being a leader role model, supervising a team of lawyers, your North Star of happiness. And I would love you to also offer up some gems of advice for what some young lawyers should be thinking about for their careers in law and ahead. How does all of that sound? That sounds great, Catherine. All right. Well, today we are talking online, uh, but Rika, if we were going to be meeting up in person, where would we be? Do you have a a favorite cafe or restaurant or wine bar you love to go to? And what would be your choice of the menu? I spent about a decade in the U.S. for school, undergrad, law school and, and work. And I just love American, just good old traditional American food. So I think we would be meeting at Bubby's in Akasaka. And um, we would have a maybe a cup of tea. Maybe we could have like an like an apple pie on the side. Wow! We would, we would do that, and we'll sit sit out on the terrace and enjoy each other's company. Oh, it sounds nice. Bubbies and Akasaka. Okay, that's mm. a date. Let's do that when we can get together in person. That is so mm. cool. Well, I I mentioned at the top of the show, Rika, that you and I met. Gosh, it was ten years ago, I think, and I think it was Laurie LeBrun that introduced you to the organization at the time, which was Foreign Women's Lawyers Association, FWLA. And we started to work together on the board there. And I think that was around the time you were at Chairman and Sterling. And mm-hmm. I can remember, yeah, I can remember several of our committee meetings at restaurants in Tokyo. And FWLA is no longer, but we do have a, a new organization, uh, Women in Law Japan. But Rika, going back to those events at that time in the organization for women lawyers and also for men, it was important for us, wasn't it, for networking and communicating with other lawyers outside of work? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, if it weren't for these, you know, organization, we would never have an opportunity to meet. So, yeah, it, it was very important so and meaningful. True. Yeah, I think so. So true. And then we lost track of each other just a little while. And then recently, our brilliant episode, season one guest episode three, I believe she is, lawyer on air, Arami Day Fields, connected with you on LinkedIn and through what is a force weaving its way through this podcast, which I will call serendipity. We were magically then reunited. And so I was able to have you on the show today. Don't you just love, Rika, how life delivers us people and experiences just at the right time when we need it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, such a force of universe, right? I mean, Aramide is like, I call her my cheerleader. And then through Aramide, I meet you and you're another cheerleader. So (laughs) you both take me out of my comfort zone, you know, just pushes me to the next level. So I love that. I hope we take you out of a comfort zone into a nice area, though, that you're not feeling uncomfortable. That's the <laughs> well, it's certainly a pleasure to have you on my podcast today. So we're going to talk about your early days uh, and your substantial career so far. And you've had pretty much a few pivotal points where you swapped over to the US to continue your study, you know, that role at PwC, and I think this new journey at Oracle. And so I want to go there. But first, mm-hmm. the question I always ask my guests, which is, what you wanted to be when you were a child, when, you know, you were young and you were thinking about the future? When I was a a junior high student, so this is, you know, in seventh grade, eighth grade, I taught Japanese elementary school students English, and I enjoyed it so much. So it was like a kid teaching a kid kind of a thing. And I loved teaching, and I loved little children. So I sort of wanted to be a teacher. Wow. Hang on, hang on. How old are you when you're 
a junior high yeah. school student? Yeah, so I was I was literally like a like a 13-year-old, you know. 13, um, and the elementary. Yeah teaching, yeah, teaching a fourth grader, so like a 10-year-old. Oh. But, but I was still the sensei, you know, and I was making money. And How cool. It was oh, you just, made money. Um, yeah, I made money as, as a wow. junior high student. You're so. an early on entrepreneur, I have to say. Teaching, <laughs> teaching that's fantastic. And then yeah. you had your formative schooling in Japan, and you really mm-hmm. loved English, right? Yeah, I, I loved English and, you know, going to Brown University as a sophomore was the first time living in the U.S. And I learned English, you know, through school. So I was in elementary school, Japanese public school for the first almost four years of my life, transferred over to Seisen International in fourth grade and graduated from American school uh, in Japan. I just always loved learning English and also learning Japanese too. Just I, I love just learning languages. Wow. What happened there? You were studying English and you loved it. You were also then wanting to go to the US and further your English study, I believe. I think the story you were telling me just a little bit about before, but I'd love to hear a little bit more on that. My older sister and my uh, younger brother, uh, they both went to uh, private schools in Japan, Rikyo, And actually, I ended up going to a public Japanese school in elementary school because I just simply didn't get in. And my father didn't like that. He didn't like the fact that I, you know, went to a public school. He, he said, you know, a proper Japanese girl should go to a nice private school, like an all-girls school. And his ex-girlfriend was uh, actually a fourth grade teacher at Seisen International. And that's how I weaved myself in to um, wow. <laughs> uh, international, <laughs> international. So that's where my sort of fate compared mm. to my, you know, my sister and my brother sort of started to take a different route. So when I graduated from SIJ, I told my father, you know, well, I really want to study in the United States. I want to go to college here because all my friends went to college in the United States. And he said, absolutely no, you know, you're going to a Japanese university. So um, he pretty much made me apply to Sophia University in Japan. And I got in. Right. And he was so happy. He's like, my goodness, I've always wanted you to go to a good Japanese private university. And for him, it's like, I made it. And I said, well, you know, but also I'm like, I, I really want to study in the U.S. And, and he said, well, if you really want to study in the U.S., you have to become a lawyer or a doctor. And, and so, so it was a promise that I had to make with my father before, uh-huh. before transferring to Brown as, as a sophomore. That was the reason why I became a lawyer, basically. Wow. It's like to fill my promise to my wow. father. Yeah, to your yeah. dad. So you had to mm-hmm. become either a lawyer or a doctor. And so was doctor out of the question and law was more? Yeah, yeah. And I like communication and languages and it was just sort of fit me a little bit more. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's so interesting. And so mm. was the US everything you wanted it to be? You had dreamt about it. What were those sort of first memories you had when you arrived in the States? So I uh, spent about a year and a half in Sofia. And most of the time, I just remember myself playing golf because I joined the golf team there and just bonding, <laughs> you know, with the woman there and, you know, having really good memories of the friendship that mm. I formed at Sophia. So the first year at Brown was actually quite hard because coming from that Japanese sort of, you know, team and environment and going to this elite university, I, I just kind of got this sense that people were a little bit more self-absorbed, a little bit more selfish and also, I had lost my mother from breast cancer a year before. So really, it was just a really hard year. I remember coming back after that one year, you know, finishing the year at Brown. And I was still enrolled at Sophia. I had taken a year off. And I struggled. I said, you know, you know I don't want to go back to Brown anymore. I really miss the, the Sophia life. And I still remember the conversation I had with my father over sushi. I said, I'm thinking about going back to Sophia. And he said, well, if you go back to Sophia, you'll feel defeated for the rest of your life. You need to just go back to Brown and conquer the environment. You know, from a guy that actually didn't want me to um, study in the U.S., he was the one that actually pushed me to continue my studies uh, in the United States. He wanted you to be in Japan and then he's saying, no, go back to Brown. Keep going. That's amazing. Yeah, that's right. Going back to Brown as a junior, because I transferred as a sophomore, it was a lot easier and I uh, roomed with Asian Americans. I really started to really embrace the experience at Brown 
it's interesting because after spending three years there, I don't really remember so much about the classes I took, but I do remember uh, the Thanksgiving dinners that I had, you know, at my roommate's place, going to New York for the first time, you know, visiting my my other roommate's home in Chicago and the friendships that are formed and the families, you know, their parents, their siblings that I got to know. Those are the memories that I have and that I still treasure to this day from Brown. Mm, so it started out being quite competitive, but then as you were there longer, those mm. friendships formed. And I, I'm expecting you're still in touch with many yes. of those people. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, I think, when I really started to appreciate the life of um, being in a U.S. university. So Rika, let's turn the page. You go to law school and graduate, and then you pass the New Jersey bar. And that led you to Baker McKenzie, and then followed by another move, you jumped back into a law firm, which I think was Sherman and Sterling. So tell me about the experiences you had during your time working there, some of which I know were quite tough. Sherman and Sterling was my first sort of a big law commercial law experience. And the thing about working for a big law firm And what's challenging, I think, for mothers is that it just simply takes up a lot of your time. And what was difficult for me at that period in my life was that I had two small boys and I was a single mother. My um, late husband passed away when my second son was a month and a half. So just not being able to be with my boys physically was hard. And for instance, I used to hire babysitters for a discounted rate, it was one of those um, single mother sort of benefits from the Minato ward. And I would have days where I would not see the babysitter because when the babysitter would come at three or four in the afternoon to pick up my boys from, you know, nursery or kindergarten, I wouldn't be at home. And when they leave, you know, which is nine or 10 after, you know, they put the boys to bed, I, I would still be in the office. So I wouldn't see them. So, um, you know, those were days were just emotionally kind of hard for simply because I, I really couldn't be with the boys um, as much as I would have wanted to. However, you know, I would, though, you know, recommend that for any lawyer, if given an opportunity to work at a reputable firm, firm to really take on the challenge, because you learn about just becoming a good lawyer And I wouldn't even say it's from, you know, your supervisors per se. I mean, you can learn from your supervisors, but you learn just as much, if not more, from your smart lawyer colleagues. So you sort of grind each other, you know, you polish each other, you you hone each other, and, you know, you become a better lawyer as a result. Wow. Can you give some example then of that? grinding, polishing, honing in of skills. That sounds amazing. I'd love to hear some more. Yeah. So like for example, I had a, an office mate who was a Japanese qualified lawyer, Joseph Bangushi, a native Japanese person who uh, went on to get an LMM and, and got the New York bar. And we worked together on a cartel case. And we would put together like, you know, our, a memo to, to the Department of Justice for Uh, whatever argument we were trying to make. So I would put the first draft together and I'll flip it over to her and she would look at it and, you know, move paragraphs around, delete sentences, add sentences, and then she'll flip it back to me. And we would do this a few times. And and every time our arguments would be improved, we would finesse our, uh, polish our memos and, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we, we sort of come to a place where we're both happy with what we have. And what was most memorable to me, which I still remember, is at the end of the day, kind of a hard day, right? She would say, ah, tanoshikatta, you know, meaning, mm-hmm. yeah, it was really fun, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or like she would say something like, datta, like, oh, it was such a good day. And the, the thing is, I was feeling the same way. Mm. You know, it was a good day. You know, the fact that we could sort of co-create uh, this memo to, to come to a place where we're both happy with what we were saying, you know, in, in this memo was really quite a fun experience. Wow. Okay. Anything else? 
I think having a good legal mindset is like having a good kitchen knife. The more you have the experience of working with good lawyers and just kind of having that sort of polishing and, and grinding experience, the sharper your knife gets. So like, you know, if you have a good kitchen knife, right, then you can cut vegetables, you can cut, you know, tomatoes, cucumbers, any meat, you know, it feels pretty good. And it's kind of the same with having good legal skills. The more you polish your legal skills, you actually become pretty confident about your kitchen knife so that, you know, with any sort of like a legal issue that may come up, you know that you can analyze an issue and communicate that issue uh, well. Wow, right. I look forward to hearing more about that analogy of the knife, Rika. That's incredible. Mm. Mm. You've got me thinking. And then there was a big step for you to move to PwC, and I know you spent quite a bit of time there. So tell us what you were doing then, what you liked about that role, and perhaps what your learnings were there. I spent six years at PwC um, with the Office of General Counsel, And, you know, looking back on the six years, it was more of that, you know, grinding and polishing of my legal skills. I supported the IT consulting business and I got uh, involved in just a ton of transactions and reviewed a ton of agreements. The two takeaways from my years at PwC were uh, one, on things that you sort of like, you you can only sort of really actually come to a realization that you like it after you practice it. And I discovered that I love being in the technology area. I think of technology as like the hammer that fixes everything. And I think it's somewhat due to the fact that I'm a single mother too. I love efficiency because anything that sort of like even a Zoom call or something, anything that sort of makes um, working more efficient, actually, that mean, it, it means that you can spend more time with your loved ones. So I just love sort of being in, in learning about cutting edge technology. And as any good contract reviewer will tell you, if you're, you know, given, let's say, a non-disclosure agreement or services agreement or license agreement, you should learn about what's being sold. And so that's what I did, you know, uh, for uh, many of my agreements is I would just, you know, call the, the consultant up and say, what are you selling? What are your concerns? And just through those experiences, I learned about, you know, what people in the market are interested in, what the cutting edge technology is that PwC is trying to sell. So that was just fun, you know, to to discover that I really actually kind of like being in technology. And the second sort of takeaway is just the friendship that I formed with the mamas, right? My mama tomodachis, my, my mama friends. And when you sort of move into a in-house counsel role, you tend to see more mothers because you, you get better, you know, work-life experience. So we're all kind of same in the same sort of situation, right? People talk about work-life balance. Well, actually for Japanese mothers, and I think this is true for all mothers, it's more about work, child raising balance. I mean, we don't exactly have a life, you know, it's not like we go out partying, you know, on weekends. It's, it's really just the struggle of, you know, balancing work and raising your kids. And I remember, you know, the lunches for us were, were so precious because those were kind of the escape from, you know, what we were struggling with. The friendships that I formed there with the woman were meaningful to me and still are, you know, very um, meaningful to me. So Rika, you left PwC, even though you loved it there. And we now kind of need a drum roll, actually, for this next piece, because it's so significant, uh, this concurrent role that you have now. You joined Oracle in December 2020 as Associate General Counsel. And in less than a year, you have become Corporate Executive Officer. And not only that, you're now Representative Corporate Executive Officer. So this truly is phenomenal. And so fast-tracked at a pace that's just really, really fast. And you've really been elevated to these roles so massively and quickly. And I really think this is an amazing story for you to tell. And I know you mentioned before we were recording today that there were women in the organization, in the head office in the States, who you say pulled you up into these roles. Tell me more. So this last year has been a real adventure for me. So let me go into reflective mode and um, go back to my final days at PwC 
and explain to you what's sort of transpired over the last year and my observations of them. So during my final days at PwC, I, I was feeling like I was kind of hit a plateau, like I was on cruise control mode. I sort of looked around and I was a senior manager, but I was a senior manager for, for six years. And I realized I sort of actually, in fact, counted um, the women around me who were kind of like me, senior managers who were you know, there for years and years and years and weren't getting to the next level. So I was sort of feeling like there was a, a, a bit of a, a glass ceiling there. And then I sort of thought to myself, well, um, do I want to stay in this environment and just kind of you know, keep doing the same thing? Because I think I was sort of taking on a broader view of our lives are kind of short, especially our working lives are kind of short. 10 years is just going to go by in a blitz. And I was 50 at the time and retirement age at, at PwC is 60. So I thought, do I kind of want to be doing the same thing, you know, for another uh, 10 years? And there was something in me that I, I really wanted to make a stronger contribution to society, but I didn't really know what it was. So this is, you know, what I mean by I was kind of going through a mid-career crisis, I was so confused. I decided to um, talk to my coach and mentor partner, everything. So I ended up setting up an appointment, an hour an appointment with him and just told him everything. And after that conversation, I was like at peace with myself. And I thought, okay, now there is one person in this organization that knows everything I went through and I can move on. You know, I, I really felt like my season at PwC had ended. And it was really around that time that I got an invitation, just came in on LinkedIn about this, you know, general counsel role. So I went through this, you know, interview process. And first I met, you know, my, my current boss, Michael, who's JPAC general counsel and very nice man. And he said, well, you know, you have to meet, you know, my boss, global general counsel. Her name is, you know, Dorian Daly, and she is just as senior as you can get, Right. And I met her and I just had this like soul uplift moment. And it was like such an uplifting hour. And I thought, man, like if I could work with her, she is like the role model that I've always, you know, aspired to be. And, and like, how lucky would I be if I could just kind of work, you know, in her group? When I got this role, I was like pinching myself. Not only was it a, a general counsel role, but it was in the field of technology, you know, and also um, I, I think for any person, men or, or women, we all need role models, right? And I thought, my gosh, you know, I can work in the same organization as my role model. This is just so great. Like, honestly, I was feeling that way, right? Quite honestly, I, I felt really fulfilled, you know, career-wise. All my adult life, it seemed like I was kind of gunning for the next big goal. But because I was feeling like so fulfilled, I was more focused. My energy just naturally went to helping other people, you know, helping, you know, other people um, have fulfilling lives, happier lives. So in other words, I was more focused on making, using my voice, whatever influence that I may have in making Oracle a better place is what I was thinking. And then, so I was happy, you know, I was fulfilled. And then my um, appointment as the, as you said, you know, the corporate executive officer in July came up and then the uh, representative corporate executive officer came up. And so there was like, like you said, th there were women that helped me to pull me up to these ranks. And for the representative corporate executive officer role, Kimberly, who is a, also a board member for Oracle Japan, an American female lawyer, she really made a case for me and spoke with the board members before the August board meeting to ensure that I get elected. And also, you know, there's, there's Dorian, right, who um, entrusted me, a senior manager at PwC formerly, uh, with this general counsel position. It really is, for me, in my experience, the females. And for me, it was the female uh, lawyers that entrusted me, that pulled me up uh, to the position that I am today. So I kind of hope that I, I do the same. It's kind of like paying forward kind of a thing. Like, I, I hope that I do the same for others. How does being a lawyer strengthen you and help you in this role? And I'd also love you to share with us about the significance of being a mother that is also a force for you behind this role. 
So I think being a lawyer does help. Some people can be good lawyers straight out of law school, but that didn't happen to me. I feel that my legal skills, my analytical skills, my communication skills were polished over the years. I have, you know, over 20 years of experience in different uh, law firms and companies. So that's what I call a kitchen knife, right? Is is that, you know, once you gain the skill set to be the good lawyer, uh, which is the analytical and communication skills, you can just use that. And that becomes just such a useful tool anywhere that you go. And this is also true in a boardroom. The other thing about being a mother too is that I think it's helped me just because I sympathize with other women who are reluctant to take on senior roles. And I think what happens is, you know, we kind of hit our 40s and there is sort of this next position. And and what happens in Japan, what I've heard is that many women uh, refuse to take on, you know, management roles, senior Mm -hmm. roles. And the reason is because they feel like then this new position might ruin them. Or they feel like if it doesn't work out, they're in their 40s, they're in their 50s, it's hard for them to find you know, another job. I think it really ultimately comes to, they feel that taking on a new risk at that age, it may just take away time you know, from their loved ones. I'm kind of sympathetic to that. And I guess my message to people who are kind of at that level is, it's okay to be imperfect and taking on a management role, an executive role is not going to ruin your life. In fact, compared to, let's say my last job at PwC, I don't think my job is any harder. It's different, but I don't think it's any harder. And I feel like I do have time to, uh, and, and it's not just being physically with, you know, say my voice or um. But I, I feel like, you know, there still is a time that I could really think about my loved ones and think about their needs and have their needs met. Wow, amazing. Um, and I think a couple of things you've said there I wanted to pick up on is, you know, the analogy of the knife. That is amazing. Mm-hmm. It got me thinking mm-hmm. about the knife itself can't do anything unless uh, a person touches it or interacts with it in some way. So depending mm-hmm. on how the human interacts with the knife, it could be used in a bad way for hurting others. But That's right can be used in the for the good things that you talked about, cutting up meat and vegetables. So the point is that with the, the knife uh, having the other human side, the mother's side, bringing in empathy, the knife then can actually be a tool uh, where a lawyer, for example, has got analytical skills and also a mother makes an effective leader as having both of those skills there. Yeah, that's right. right. And then the second point you made was, People don't need to be perfect to rise mm-hmm. up the ranks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I that think that right. may be the first time I've ever heard anyone say this, Rika. And I don't really know why people are more, aren't more vulnerable uh, and talk mm-hmm. about this. So encouraging people to do that so they can go higher is, is astronomical, really, what you've just said. One of the um, biggest compliments I recently received is from Arshacho, the CEO of Oracle. And he said, I don't want to be politically incorrect, but the image of working women during the Shoah era, right, was a woman who would not look after the family, is not a good wife, is not a good mother, just devotes all her time at work. That's, that's I think, where the, the phrase body, body, you know, came from, right? Body, body, carry a woman. But, and then he said, well, look at Nakajima-san. It was really just such a compliment because that's how I feel is that we don't um, need to be perfect. We can rise up the ranks with who we are. Yeah. And that buddy buddy is going for it, isn't it? Going for it, just uh, driven. And and is he saying to you that you are, yeah, of course you've driven because you're in this, this organization, but you're also just taking it step by step. You're not perfect. You're working out things as you go up. And you're looking mm-hmm. to others to also have uh, some inspiration for yourself. You and I were both born in the Showa era, but yeah, you're talking about right. the working women in that particular part of Japanese history, yes? Yeah, that's right. And I see my role, and I think the role of other Japanese leaders uh, in Japan as well is to change that image, right, of the, the body body career woman image of just w- women working in general. You know, it is oh, okay. Yeah to be who we are, and we add value 
to an organization, my mentor and role model, Kathy Matsui, when I was struggling, um, when I you know first joined Orgo, because I was just speaking mostly with Japanese men and not feeling like I had a place at Oracle or, or I wasn't sure whether I was adding value at Oracle. She said, you know, you were hired because you are different and use that, you know, to your advantage. And now I get, you know, what she means because yeah. we need people, um, especially at the top level. So now I sort of finally get what, you know, people are sort of, they're always sort of constantly thinking about diversity and inclusion. I, I sort of came to this place like, my perspective, uh, the experiences that I bring in is enough and that I add a different perspective to Oracle that Oracle needs. I sort of noticed that in a boardroom because when you're in a boardroom and let's say there's nine people in a boardroom and I just actually talked about this in, in one of the panels, if that boardroom is filled with Japanese men with three decades of sales experience, that's really bad for Oracle, you know? Because what happens is when you bring in similar people, they all sort of think alike. And there's always sort of like this blind spot that people just don't notice. But then I said, you know what? But actually it's the same the other way around, right? If the boardroom was filled with someone like me, you know, Japanese female lawyer, and they're all sort of like me, that's also bad. So what you want in a boardroom is people that come from all different perspectives and just clashing and our ideas might clash, but that's okay. Mm. Because then we can sort of make sure that there's no blind spots. You know, I mean, you're never gonna have no blind spots, but we can minimize the blind spots and make the best decision for the company. So when you were elected in August, how did you feel? And were there any lessons that you learned after taking on this daihyo, this representative corporate executive officer position? As I mentioned earlier, after taking on this general counsel role, I was already like quite fulfilled. And, and then this, you know, kind of fell on my lap a little bit, right? I mean, especially this Daihyo representative position. Of course, I was happy. And actually, the fact that like my boys were happy and my father was like so happy because when you get elected, your name pops up in this um, national newspaper called Nikkei. So he was just really happy to see my name on the paper, you know. So, so I was really happy about that. But at the same time, I was kind of like questioning myself, why is this happening to me? I, I really wasn't gunning for it. I'm achievement oriented, right? So it's like next goal, next goal. But, but really, this wasn't even one of my goals. It really just kind of happened to me. And the answer in my, in my mind was something like character. Character matters. One observation that I, I had after joining Oracle, so it was something that I was sort of feeling at the same time is that the more senior up you go in an organization, people kind of evaluate you. People sort of assume that you can do your job, right? Because age-wise, you're sort of more senior anyway. Then people start to look at who you are, like your character actually kind of matters, right? And it's just basic things that you teach your kids about. Be kind to others, be respectful, you know, don't be so selfish, be more giving to others, you know, that kind of stuff. And I really saw this difference because when I was in, in a more, more junior level, like, you know, my position at PwC or even at Sherman and Sterling, I mean, of course, it helps to be a nice person. But, but really, at the end of the day, if you could just do your job, right, if you had the technical skills, people appreciated that you, you were fine. But what I realized is that in, in a more senior level, what you do every day matters and you get put under a Microsoft in my microscope, so to speak. And I actually started to pay more attention to my everyday behavior. Wow. What would you say then are the sort of top skills or characteristics you need to be a corporate executive officer or a representative? What kinds of things do you think are really important as you're doing your role there, Rika? I guess first, you know, I mentioned this before, but um, to not have your like not to bring your political agenda into the boardroom in other words not to have an ego so that's one i think the other one is the ability to see the big picture and this is probably easier said than done but in japan you tend to see more followers than leaders and people tend to be sort of more process oriented 
rather than big picture oriented, often I uh, explain to people in, in Oracle US, for instance, is sometimes they don't understand why um, Japanese people sort of, you know, do things a certain way. And it is because through sort of just education in Japan, they're sort of wired to become more sort of follow the process kind of thinking. And, and they miss the big picture because they're so focused on like doing like everything perfectly and, and following the processes. So I would say that it's one to not have an ego. Right. Uh, second is to have the ability to see the big picture. And in my role, I think it's important to gain the trust um, of board members because by gaining the trust, you can have the board members open up to you. And then if the board members can open up to me, then I can sort of communicate, you know, let's say what the Shacho is saying and communicate that to people in the Oracle US and vice versa too. So gaining the trust of um, other board members, I think is also important. That's great. Thank you mm-hmm. for those. It's amazing tips. So Rika, I know you are supervising a lawyer team, which is what you're doing as part of your work at, at Oracle. So tell us about mm-hmm. how many team members you are looking after and mm-hmm. how you work with them to help them become a team that's all working together really, really nicely and collegiately. Tell us about how you do that, how you manage your team. So my team is um, a team of seven and there is an admin person and a paralegal and four uh, Japanese qualified Bengalshis. And so I was kind of concerned going into my role about supervising a group of you know, Japanese qualified attorneys. And so I thought to myself, okay, how do I make this project work? And the project is you know, my project of leading the legal and compliance department at Oracle. And one sort of message that resonated in me before going in was what a PMO said. PMO is sort of like a, a expert you know, project manager in one of the projects that I managed at PwC. He said something like, of the success in a project depends on how well the stakeholders communicate. So I thought, okay, if I make sure that my team members are communicating well, then that must mean 90% of the time, you know, I will succeed. So Mm -hmm. I actually took that to heart. And what I did is I set up, you know, one-on-one meetings with my team members each and every week. And that, I think, was probably most effective in relation to gaining the trust um, of my team members and really sort of uh, getting to know them. And so in a sense, like, you know, because I started during COVID days, so I actually haven't spent that much time in the office, but I don't feel like I was disadvantaged uh, in any way, because if I had to say, let's say, okay, so I don't have water cooler moments here in the office, because I, you know, I'm, I'm not in the office, but I meet with you, you know, every week. That is really where I've gained the trust of my team members. And I've noticed that, and I think this might be true more for Japan, but people don't really tell you. I mean, they're, they're not going to just slack you and tell you what they're concerned about. Um, it really only comes after spending time with them. It could be like simple things like, you know, are you vaccinated or, you know, talking about their families. You could just talk about everyday non-work stuff. It really actually doesn't matter in your one-on-one conversations that you have with them each week. And, you know, after a while, it's not so much their background or it's not so much this big qualification that they have. They want to know that you have their back. It's really about communicating with them that you care about them and they understand that and then you've gained their trust and then their skill set and their talents can shine and you're you're a stronger team that way because they're not inhibited about you know showing what they have mm-hmm. so I, I do think that you know communication and gaining the trust and really like just grill this into them you have their back you know I have your back yes I think it's the most important thing Fantastic. Well, that's yeah. wonderful, Rika. Thank you so much. I'm sure the team are, are going to be listening to you today and also uh, really love working with you. And I, mm-hmm. I really don't think it mattered that uh, you were a New York lawyer and these were Bengoshi because it also gives a different perspective. You are different and you're bringing that difference through from being a New York 
trained yeah. lawyer, right? So it's good for them yeah. and you'll learn from them as well as a Bengoshi. It is. It is. See, that's why I don't really like to consider myself. I mean, certainly in an org chart, I'm in sort of, you know, higher than them. I, I sort of like to sort of see myself more on a sort of a One flat of the team. level where part of the team, because we all bring in different skill sets. Mm. And I just happen to bring in a skill set that's different from you. And, and I think sort of goes back to my sort of imperfection thing. It's okay to be imperfect. imperfect. Mm. I mean, if you're given, let's say, you know, like 10 things to do and you feel like you only did, you know, maybe two or three things. Well, that's okay, you know, because we work as a team. Let's have your skill set. Let's have your talent shine. Because at the end of the day, it's the team's contribution that matters. Fabulous. Well done, Rika. I'm going to switch gears now Mm. and talk about your daily routine. What Mm. about your beginning Mm. and uh, end of the day and some of your hobbies and interests? I know you've got music and song in there. I just love musicals um in fact i just went to new york for five days by myself to watch a musical it was actually a tina turner musical oh and i actually went because this woman called asian one who was uh, actually starring in the musical i discovered that her last day was october 31st and i really really wanted to watch her perform so i was actually there for five days and it was the most uplifting trip that I ever had. Even in a musical, you know, like how she just gives everything to you. And as an audience, you just feel like you want to give everything back to her. There's a sense of professionalism that you feel from her that, that really inspires you. It's almost like listening to like great classical music. You don't, you don't know mm. what the message is. And you like singing but, yourself as well, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I heard from someone that you also do yoga and a few other little things there. Well, I, I love yoga and I think mm. it's one of those um, sort of daily habits. I mean, it, it gives me time to stretch and it gives me, you know, sort of time to meditate. Well, thank you so much, Rika. We're now heading into the final Super Six, which is the quick fire round of six questions. I love to ask every guest as we wind up the interview. If I was to give you a million yen in cash, where in Japan would you spend it? Like your favorite store or a place you'd like to go, or it could be a charity or social cause? I love this inn called Hoshinoya in Japan, and they have a few. Uh, they have one in Karuizawa, they have one in Kyoto, and they have one in, in Yamanashi. And what I would love to do is to spend what I call my three T's, uh, my two boys. They they all start with a T, my so spend like one place, Karuiza Hoshinoya with my older son, uh, maybe uh, Hoshinoya Kyoto with my younger son, and Hoshinoya you know, Yamanashi with my boyfriend. Um, so that's what I would love to do is to just spend time at the Hoshinoya and just spend a million yen there. Yeah, that's good. Have you got a book that you have been reading or a podcast that you're listening to that you would like to recommend? Yeah, so I just finished listening to an audible of a book called Happiness Becomes You. It's by Tina Turner. And it was just a really interesting reflection of her and um, her Buddhist beliefs. So I would recommend that. Sounds great. Happiness mm. Becomes You. Lovely. Mm-hmm. And she's an amazing person, Tina Turner. Goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to ask you, is there a famous person or celebrity you would love to meet or have met? Perhaps it is the Tina Turner. Or is there someone else? Well, it is. It is the Tina Turner. And it is Adrian Warren who played uh, Tina Turner at the Tina Turner musical. I would love to meet Uh, both of them. What's on your bedside cabinet beside you? I'm actually reading a book by the CEO of Nitori. You know, Nitori is the yes. furniture store here. Nitori. And it is hilarious. I love that. And, and he's just so open about his, you know, vulnerabilities and his shortcomings. And I just, it's funny. I, I, I like it because it's funny. But I also love the fact that he's just a leader who is just open about, you know, his shortcomings. So mm, yeah. I'll put that one down uh, on my book list. Rika, one thing about you that others don't know. Oh, well, I would love to star in a musical one day. 
Oh, <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. You could be the next Asian person playing Tina Turner. Yeah, I would love to be in a musical. Oh, I'd like. I should have started on that earlier. Oh, it's so no, it's never too late. Remember your own philosophy. Well, thank you so much, Rika, for sharing your story today, telling us about your amazing career and the fantastic board role you've got now, and sharing your gems of advice. Mm. It was so great to connect with you in this way. Mm. Thank you so much. And so, how can people connect with you? Can they do that on LinkedIn? Sure. Yeah, I have a LinkedIn page. I think that's the best place to reach me. So anyone who's interested in connecting and learning more from you is welcome to reach out to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right? sure. Of course. Yeah, well, I would love to connect with women. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'd love to finish up there. We've had a fantastic conversation about your career, your modeling for lawyers and for people, your communication skills how you're showing up on the board. And you've just shown us that there's really not one single way to be a lawyer and, and you, that you can actually reach up to the highest pinnacles of your career and do a dream job. And so for my listeners, please do like this episode and subscribe to Lawyer On Air and do also drop us a review as that really helps Lawyer On Air being seen and heard by many people. And you can also go over to my webpage uh, and leave me a voicemail telling me uh, what you thought about the episode. So please do go ahead, share the episode with someone you think will enjoy listening to it and be inspired to be a lawyer extraordinaire. Thank you so much, Rika. Thank you so much for having me, Catherine. And that's all for now. See you on the next episode. Cheers, come pie, and bye for now. Thank you so much for listening today to this episode of Lawyer On Air. I really hope that you were inspired by the story you heard and that you discovered something new about women in the law. It's my passion to share my stories of amazing legal ladies, so please subscribe to the show so that you don't miss future episodes. And if you can think of even just one person to share this episode with, that would make my day. I would love to connect with you, so jump on over to LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter or Insta, where you can find me. The links are in the show notes below. Well, that's all from me today, and I look forward to seeing you right here on the next episode of Lawyer On Air. Cheers, come pie, and bye for now.